Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Happy holidays, everybody. Hope you and yours are enjoying all the great tidings of the season. And, of course, that means football, college football all around the FBS. Welcome to Strong as Steel. I know you've been with us so going way back to July when we were doing our preview shows to get you ready for 2017. And now we're winding it up with three succinct separate bowl shows to get you ready for each and every one of the the bowl games that are being played. Uh, We went through the the first week of games last week. You can still get episode one, of course, uh, on iTunes if you like. I'm Michael Regai, pleased to be joined by the, the very best in the business, the author of Phil Steele's College Football Preview, the one and only Phil Steele. What's going on, Phil? Happy holidays. Hey, happy holidays to you, Michael. Well, it's the uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We got bowl games every night, so uh, how can you complain? Can't complain. Can't complain whatsoever. Our producer Jim Nabosna, he keeps us uh, uh, strong as steel, front and center. Jimmy puts everything together. Uh, we wish him happy holidays very much as well. Phil, uh, bowl confidence pool, philsteel.com. I'm in your group, and uh, the group off to uh, I'm going to say I saw a lot of a lot of folks off to a real rousing beginning. How'd you fare? How'd you fare through the first uh, through the first week again? games uh not too bad michael had a naturally there's a couple of games a lot of favorites lost so everybody lost a couple of games i think early on uh right now in the bow confidence got 109 points and number 21 we got roughly 300 folks entered in the contest so uh still doing pretty good uh happy with the 109 naturally i think everybody had florida atlantic as you mentioned earlier is there 41 point play out there but uh, some big games coming up and a lot to look forward to and you got to love the uh, the bowl mania on ESPN because at literally 5 minutes after the game is over the standings are updated and you know exactly where you are 
No question about that. Absolutely. And uh, so we'll do, uh, I believe the number is 12 games today. So make sure you lock in with us here as we're going to give you our evaluations, our thoughts and insights. And Phil, of course, will uh, tie in all of his numbers uh, from his computer, even if he maybe had a... uh, Maybe if he had a question or two for the computer and disagreed, he'll let us know about that as well. Also, Phil, with the NFL winding down in this last couple of weeks, uh, tell us about uh, inside the press box and and what uh, our listeners can expect there as we the bowl games and the NFL. Yeah, the great thing with inside the press box is uh, you get all the college games, all the NFL games, every single game that's out there. And uh, it's all available. Now, if you go to InsideThePressBox.com, you find yourself what exactly the newsletter is about. A lot of great detail, a lot of stats, a lot of numbers. If you like numbers, you like stats, you like computer projections, you'll love Inside the Press Box. So go to InsideThePressBox.com. And also remember, up on ESPN Insider, if you're already an ESPN Insider, heck, go there. I'll be forecasting every single bowl game and all season long i've been forecasting every single nfl game and we'll be doing every playoff game as well and that's uh, all up on espn insider for more information on that you just go to espn.com slash phil Steele. takes you right to espn insider and you can uh, join up today a lot of fun doing the, the uh, stuff with espn this year and uh, really have enjoyed doing working with the insider it's been terrific all year long, and as Phil always says, so, you know, you can get uh, Phil, of course, and many, many others that do such great, great work on uh, the Insider. Phil, let's get rolling. Without further ado, let's begin with uh, our first one of of this particular episode of Strong as Steel. We'll uh, we'll start with the the Christmas Eve matchup in Hawaii. Of course, the Hawaii Bowl. That's uh, a, a tradition-rich bowl game. Bulldogs of Fresno State out of the Mountain West against those Houston Cougs from the American Athletic. Uh, again, the Bulldogs, as we said, they went to the, the Mountain West Championship game, uh, got beat in the 17-14 by Boise State, but Phil, what's impressed us all year long, I think you're going to agree, is a strong defense for uh, the Bulldogs of Fresno State. They only allow 17 points a game, 32 sacks generated. They're led by Malik Forrester and Robert Stanley on that side of the football. Sacks, tackles for losses, these guys get home and put the heat on. Houston played three quarterbacks, Phil, this year with mediocre results. Uh, the sophomore, Derek King, threw for 991 yards, did have a 6-1 to one, uh, uh, touchdown interception ratio for uh, Major Applewhite. I guess he's going to be the future at the quarterback position there. But, uh, you know, Houston's a football team that, that uh, many think underachieved this year with Major Applewhite. How do you evaluate this Hawaii Bowl? Phil, and can they move the football against this very good Fresno State D? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting call there. And Eric King took over the job with four games to go. He's really done very well, as you mentioned it, in 70% on the year, 6-1 ratio. Also, 341 yards rushing. He's probably the most dynamic offensive player that they have and uh, been a big part of that offense. You, you look at down the stretch, they beat Navy, uh, and they beat South Florida. I mean, that's a South Florida team that's uh, only got two losses all year, and they went into South Florida and came out with a 28-24 win. But I think you're correct. And the, the average Cougar fan out there probably feels they underachieved. 
uh, losses as a favorite against Tulsa and Tulane. They let that Memphis game slip away. They were up big in that game. Memphis, uh, 17 nothing at the half, appeared to have it iced away, and then Memphis came back and got a late win. And then the Texas Tech loss, another tough one right at the end of the game. So uh, a good season for Houston, but probably a little less than what they were expecting. For Fresno, well, let's face it, no one expected them to win nine games this year like they have. So tremendous tip of the hat to Jeff Tedford, their head coach. And then Orlando Steinhauer, who is a, comes over from the CFL. And you wondered, how's a CFL defensive coordinator doing college football, even against option offenses? And guess what? Did pretty well. In fact, even against the option offenses he faced, uh, they slowed him down. So this is really a team that's complete package. Probably should have hosted that Mountain West title game. They beat Boise head-to-head. If they would have hosted it, they probably would have won it because they almost won it in Boise. And we saw how dominant Boise was in their bowl game against Oregon. So that's a very impressive resume for Fresno State this year. I think Houston's got a little more overall talent. They deserve to be a slight favorite. My favorite thing in this game is probably the under. You talked about the Fresno defense. Hey, Houston's got an underrated defense as well, holding opponents to 30 yards below their season average. And they've got a certain player, Ed Oliver, on that defensive line. He's worth watching. In fact, he won the Outland Award this year. And I think when he comes out, it won't be this year because he's a true sophomore. Mm -hmm. When he comes out, next year he very well could be the number one overall pick in the draft he's that dominant so watch that Oliver and that Houston defense watch that Fresno defense and the the total in the game is up there around 50 I think it's 50 49 and a half so I think it's gonna be a lower scoring and pretty solid ball game yeah and maybe the under is the play on that uh, as Phil alludes to uh, a lot of defensive talent on the football field all right, that's how we roll. That's how we begin. Uh, there is uh, the first of this episode as Strong as Steel as we uh, analyze Fresno State and Houston. Phil, uh, let's move on as we get to a Power 5 matchup here. This will take place December 26th. And, of course, uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, along the home of uh, a lot of uh, just famous bowl games down through the years, Pac-12, the Utes of Utah, 6-6 six and six on the year against uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers at seven up and five down. Now, Phil, you know, I was looking back at Utah's season. You know, they dropped three of the last five, and two of those were, uh, you know, against Washington and Washington State. But the quarterback position, Phil, uh, Tyler Huntley and Troy Williams, a split time. Huntley was injured. He missed Stanford and USC. Now, now those two losses, though, were by a total of four points. So Utah was right there. And uh, then again, you know, you look at, uh, you know, decent quarterback ratio at 15 to 10. Uh, running back Zach, uh, Zach Moss was the, the workhorse for this football team, over 1,000 yards and nine TDs. So, you know, Utah, I don't know, a lot of people say, well, underachievement at 6-6. Six and six. Dana Holgerson, meanwhile, Phil, 10-3 and three and 16. He needs this one. I, wouldn't you say to have an eight-win football season after that 10-win campaign this year, uh, Mountaineers at 7-5, and five. defense gave up 31 points per game. Now, Will Greer, their QB, had a solid season. He is coming back, by the way, as he announced this week. He would have been eligible to head to the NFL had he wanted. 3,400 yards in, uh, in his 11 football games with a 34-12 ratio. But, uh, Phil, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Two football teams, to me, uh, did we expect a little bit more from each one of them as, as we uh, enter 2017? Yeah, West Virginia ended up pretty much where I thought they would this year. I was thinking that uh, they looked about a 7-5 team coming into the season. That's where they finished. 
tough schedule, you know, open up with Virginia Tech, having to play teams like TCU on the road, and then naturally all the big boys. They play everybody in the Big 12. Uh, and really, uh, one of the uh, keys late in the year was when Will Greer got injured prior to Oklahoma. Now, I think they would have lost against Oklahoma anyway. But Chris Chuganov took over at the QB spot, only hit 54%. And Chuganov's going to be the QB here with Greer not uh, healthy enough to play. They, uh, You take a look at uh, West Virginia. They are loaded at the receiver position with Jennings, Sills, and White. Probably all going over 1,000 yards this year. They, White only needs 22. Sills only needs 20. So 3,000-yard receivers. Uh, and with West Virginia, their problem this year has been on the defensive side of the ball, as expected. I mean, they were a very inexperienced defense coming in. A lot of folks were saying, hey, they're going to be still just as good on defense. Well, it hasn't really been the case. You know, last year, West Virginia held opponents to 43 yards below their season average. Uh, this year, they're giving opponents 35 yards above their season average. So the defense has been the culprit here. Offensively, they struggled without Greer at the end of the year. And I think in this situation, I like the Utes. Every time I hear Utes, I think of my cousin Vinny, if you remember that line from that movie. But yeah, uh, <laughs> when, it, when, you, <laughs> when you look at, uh, at Utah, as you mentioned, Tyler Huntley was not – he was injured, and then when he came back, he wasn't 100%. There are two losses to Washington State and Washington. They were also close, eight and three points. I like Zach Moss, the running back. They got Darren Carrington, the Oregon transfer, a wide receiver. That was a great pickup in the offseason. I mean, he, he's he been the star of their uh, receiving core, about double the yards as the number two man. And defensively, watch this front line of Utah. I rate it as a top five defensive line coming into the season. Now, they've given up 354 yards per game, which seems like a lot in old school football. But nowadays, that's pretty good. In fact, they held their opponents to 63 yards, 63 yards below their season average. So I'm going to give Utah the edge of quarterback. I'm going to give the Utah the large edge on defense. And then how about this stat? Dana Holgerson, two and three in bowl games. Kyle Whittingham, 10 and one. Best record of any coach in the bowls. He knows how to get them ready for the bowl games. Uh, so I like, I like Utah to win this one. They're, they're laying about six and a half. I like, I like Utah in this one. Oh, yeah, uh, very one more thing, Michael, program. before you get rolling there. Yeah. The other major edge Utah has is on special teams. Number 15 special teams for Utah. Number 120 for West Virginia. So don't be surprised if West Virginia's starting most of their possessions from inside their own 20. And, West, and Utah's starting them from closer to midfield. They have excellent special teams. Special teams has been a problem for West Virginia this year. I see where you're going to get that anywhere else as uh, Phil uh, brings special teams into play, and it could be significant in this Utah and West Virginia matchup. Hard of Dallas Bowl uh, with a couple of Power Fives going at one another. A Power Five and a group of five in what could be an intriguing matchup also on December the 26th. This is at the Ford Field the home of the Detroit Lions in the Motor City. It's the Quick Lane Bowl, and it's uh, it's it's a football team in Duke that well we'll, we'll tell you about in a minute. They're six and six, of course, out of the ACC against um, a very very uh, strong head football coach Rod Carey and his Northern Illinois Huskies out of the Mid American Conference. Now Northern Illinois won eight and four. Phil, as we get it, you know I can't help but when, when you look at Duke and break those the break that down and you'll go into further depth, but. David Cutcliffe and his crew, they, they began the season 4-0. And, and then, you know, you stick their 4-0. Well, they had to win the last two to become bowl eligible. They beat Georgia Tech and Wake Forest after a six-game stretch 
all losses, or David Cutcliffe's offense only averaged 12 points per game in that six-game stretch. They regrouped. 43-point effort in the Georgia Tech win, 31 more as they wound up the year regular season by beating Wake Forest. So they got rolling again. Now, Northern Illinois is a rock-solid defense. They are virtually every year since Rod Carey has taken over. They only give up 20 points per game. And I want you to keep an eye on a couple of players. Now, they did relinquish a 17-point lead in in the second half in their finale up at Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Now, they were up big, looked like they were going to be a nine-win team, probably would have got, you know, a different bowl matchup. And uh, Shane Morris got hot, and they lost to Central Michigan 31-24. Now, defensive end Sutton Smith, he was leading the nation in sacks for most of the year for Northern Illinois, 14 sacks on the year, and also keep an eye on one of their very talented four-year starter at DB, Shawan Lurie, 14 career interceptions, three of those pick sixes that he ran back to the house. So, you know, Phil, can David Cutcliffe's offense get going here? As we said, they went through a huge, Lull in October and early November. Can they get going against a very sturdy Northern Illinois defense in the Quick Lane Bowl? You know, I think both defenses have the edge coming into this one. You look at Northern, they're, they're one of the nation's leaders in yards per play this season. Uh, one of the top ten teams in the country in yards per play. That's not yards per rush or yards per pass, but yards per total play. They only allow 2.8 yards per carry. Held their opponents at 54 yards below their season average. Duke played pretty good defense as well. Uh, this year, holding opponents to 41 yards below their season average. And naturally, Duke took on a much tougher schedule. They took on 10 Power 5 teams. Uh, and meanwhile, Northern Illinois only took on two Power 5 teams all year. Although they played well, they beat Nebraska on the road, and they just lost to Boston College by three, so they showed they could play with the big boys. When you look at the two teams offensively, Northern Illinois was using numerous QBs. Then Marcus Childers, who, when I talked to Coach Carey in the offseason, he was very high on Childers. Surprisingly, it took a while for Childers to become the starting quarterback. It wasn't until week five of Kent State when he took over the job, but did well. Hit 57% with a 15-5 ratio. He's a good runner, too. Number two rusher on the team with 454 yards. Really, with Duke's offense, it's come down to Daniel Jones. Watching Daniel Jones the first four games, uh, talking to some Duke folks, you're like, hey, Cutcliffe can develop a quarterback. Daniel Jones has size, got NFL arm strength. Here's a guy that uh, is one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And then Daniel Jones just went away. He had some uh, head issues or something because he did not play very well the next six weeks. Struggled and uh, sometimes was the result of them losing. He had, on the season, only had a 12-11 ratio. They bounced back and beat Georgia Tech. Cutcliffe always does well against option teams. It was the second straight option team they faced. And then beating Wake Forest in a must-win game on the road, they got the win. Jones down the stretch played a little better. In fact, in the season final, threw for 346 yards. That was his highest total of the year. So maybe he's peaking at the right time this year. They have a running back by committee with Sean Wilson, Britton Brown. Uh, Those two guys both split the carries, and uh, they've got some decent receivers. So, you know, looking up the talent – schedule and everything i give duke the slight edge in this one at uh, receiver quarterback uh, linebacker defensive back and schedule and i give northern the edge at the defensive line they only allowed 2.8 yards per carry duke allowed 4.1 and then also the site northern illinois used to playing here Uh, meanwhile for duke they're not and they're a lot closer as well Uh, to me One of the things you really have to look at in this game, though, is the coaching, and this concerns me. I I lean with Northern Illinois in the game, but here's the thing. Rod Carey, in four bowl games, is 0-4, and 
check out these losses. Uh, Boise State, 55-7. to They were outgained 654-33. to You remember that game, Michael? I do. I remember it very, very well. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> they lost to Marshall, 52-23. to They lost to Utah State, 21-14. to And then they lost to Florida State, uh, 31-10. to So it's been a... Run of a rough goal in bowl games for Cutcliffe. He's five and four in bowl games. So I sort of like Duke to win the game. In fact, in the bowl confidence contest, I picked Duke to win the game, but I think it'll be close down to the wire. So sort of lean with Northern if you're uh, uh, playing it that way with the points. But uh, one of the tough ones to call. I also think it'll be on the, the lower scoring side with two solid defenses. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And, uh, you know, I would say that would be a, a way to, uh, you know, bottom line look at this football game. But, uh, yeah, you're right, too, about the, the northern the northern Illinois Bowl problems of late. Uh, well, very strong football program. We'll see if they're able to, um, in a place you're very familiar with, six MAC championship games, by the way, six of them at Detroit's Ford Field. All right, so that's the story, Duke and Northern Illinois. Delighted to have all of you along. This is our middle of three, so our second of three uh, bowl editions all around uh, the FBS for this 2017, of course, on into early 2018 college football bowl season. Phil Steele's with us evaluating, analyzing, and breaking everything down uh, better than anybody in the business and our producer, Jim Nabosna. I'm Michael Regai. As we keep uh, rolling on, uh, let's move on to uh, another Power 5 matchup. And, uh, Phil, this is the, uh, the Cactus Bowl. And uh, it features on January 26th our uh, our very, very veteran coaching friend, Bill Snyder, and his Kansas State Wildcats. He wound up at 7-5 on the year. Um, Now, the Oklahoma State and Iowa State wins to end the football season. uh, Solid for them. And they're going to oppose UCLA. And, of course, we we know all that's going on since that uh, regular season finale and the loss to their crosstown rival USC with – the coaching change, Jim Mora being fired, and, uh, of course, uh, Chip Kelly now running the show in Westwood. Now, uh, let's let's start with uh, Kansas State, Phil, because, I mean, they played uh, – Bill Snyder had played three quarterbacks this year. And, you know, uh, we can all make the call on how much that affected them. Uh, Jesse Ertz, Skylar Thompson, uh, Alex uh, Delton, all of them uh, played at quarterback this year injuries, uh, performance level. So, you know, an offensive football team that uh, that maybe did not uh, achieve like you might have thought they were. And on the UCLA side, of course, the story as always is uh, is Josh Rosen. And uh, is Rosen going to uh, play his final football game in this one uh, against Kansas State? Uh, he had another uh, fantastic year, uh, as we know. Uh, many think he's a top quarterback that uh, is eligible to uh, come into the NFL this year, Phil, and uh, uh, does have NFL quarterback stature written all over him. But with all that's going on with UCLA and Chip Kelly coming in and what have you, how do you see this Cactus Bowl playing out with uh, with two programs that, as we know, that have down through the years have uh, done historically pretty well at, at, at bowl time? Yeah, and uh, bringing up the quarterback thing for a quick minute, uh, just to let you know, Browns are probably going to have that first-round pick in the draft. I'm certainly hoping Sam Darnold comes out because he's my pick as the top quarterback and top guy to go there at the ESPN talent meeting. I got to chat with Mel Kuyper for a while. 
we threw out a bunch of different quarterbacks at each other, but uh, I stuck with my Sam Darnold as the top guy. Mel politely disagrees at this particular point, but we'll see as the uh, as the process goes on who gets picked where. But hopefully Darnold comes out being a Browns fan. I hope they, they get the chance to draft him. Now, as far as this matchup goes, you know, I've got to tell you, when I talked to Coach Mora in the spring, and he was going over the team. There were three or four different times. He said, hey, the best part of our team is a defensive line. Well, that defensive line got banged up, and wow, amazing numbers. UCLA allowed 283 yards per game rush. Now, they weren't taking on option offenses every week either, and they allowed 5.7 yards per carry. For how Mora talked about the defensive line, those numbers had to be disappointing, and it's probably one of the reasons that uh, the new head coach is Chip Kelly. For this game, by the way, it's going to be Jed Fish, the interim head coach for this one. Now, uh, offensively, as you touched on, UCLA still hasn't. You know, last year they struggled to run the ball at all, 2.9 yards per carry. They improved to 3.9 this year. They've got guys back there. Uh, Ola run Ola run fun run from me fun me excuse me and uh, Jamabo those are two guys that they have in the uh, running backs that are both solid they average five point two five point one but as a team they only average three point nine yards per carry and struggle to run it and uh, you look at the Kansas State it's just your typical Bill Snyder type of team a tough defense uh, and then on offense they like to run the football. Uh, they started out with Jesse Ertz at quarterback he got injured they went to Alex Delton at QB. He got injured. Now it's Skylar Thompson, and I've been impressed with Thompson. He's hitting 63% of his passes, shown to be a good runner, shows he can run this offense. Uh, Alex Barnes, their top running back. And to me, the matchup I like best is when Bill Snyder's teams can run the football. Any game that they ran the ball for over 200 yards per game or yards this year, they won that game with the exception of Oklahoma. And they ran for 268 yards in that game, but they lost by seven. That's not a bad game against that potent Oklahoma bunch. But other than that, every time they ran for 200 yards, including Oklahoma State, they came out a winner. Got to think they run for 200 yards here. Defensive edge, and then are you going to take the crafty Bill Snyder? Are you going to take an interim head coach on the sidelines? I got to give that coaching all the way. And this is another game where special teams could have a huge factor. Uh, Kansas State special teams coach is Sean Snyder. Uh, Bill Snyder would like him to take over as the head coach, and I think it would be a great choice because Sean Snyder's special teams units are always at the top of my charts. And this year, again, the number one special teams unit in the country. Where does UCLA's rank? How about 116? Maybe the biggest special teams mismatch of the Bulls. So not only do we have a better defense, better special teams, and I like the matchups, I like the coaching edge. Uh, yeah, UCLA's got Josh Rosen, but almost every other edge in the game goes with K-State. And that's why I like the Wildcats in this one. All right. Very definitive for uh, Bill Snyder in Kansas State. And I love that you brought out Sean Snyder as well. So that's twice now. See, Phil has alluded to special team decided match uh, decided edge in a particular matchup this one uh, belonging to uh, Sean Snyder who is the judge to be one of the very best special teamers in the business so that's a breakdown uh, on uh, as we said uh, that that particular game, pair of Power Fives in Kansas State and UCLA. And, again, that will be the uh, the Cactus Bowl the day after Christmas on December 26th. 
We keep moving. Twelve football games that we're going through. Let's uh, let's move into December twenty seventh. Here's a matchup that I don't think anybody could have forecast or, or would not have uh, walked up to walked up to a window in your uh, your favorite uh, venue in Las Vegas and said, "Yeah, the Florida State Seminoles. I got them to play in the Independence Bowl." On December 27th, if you did, and uh, they they had put out uh, they had put out a line on that, it probably would have won you uh, a gazillion dollars or so. Nobody thought that coming into the season. They were top three football team. Matchup is against uh, Southern Mississippi, the Golden Eagles. Three game win streak to end the regular season. Their running back Ito Smith. Now, fellow and I have talked about him. Uh, a lot during the season. Big time, folks. If you don't know him or you haven't seen him, it's worth taking a look-see. 1,300 yards, 13 TDs, five and a half uh, and better yards per carry of the football. And uh, this is this is an exceptional football player. Uh, Quadra Diggs and Keon Howard, they split the quarterbacking duties. And, Phil, we know the Florida State story, man. I mean, it's just hard to define. You, uh, you, you wouldn't have – no one would have predicted this when the year began. We know they lost quarterback DeAndre Francois in that season opening loss to Alabama, and everything spiraled downward from there. The freshman James Blackman, he had to learn on the – fly. I mean, true freshman, 18 years old, coming in like that. Jimbo Fisher leaves Tallahassee when the season's ended. He's at Texas A&M. I feel wow. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but wow. How do you predict anything like this? Um, you know, so here they are in the Independence Bowl. Got to play Southern Mississippi. I, I, what's the motivation going to be? Willie Taggart, I mean, are you going to get everybody stoked up? Well, that's a big question is going to be the motivation. Odell Haggins is the interim head coach here. He got him going for ULM in the season final. I think think the team likes him, and they're going to want him to, to win this game. But, uh, yeah, getting up for Southern Miss can be one thing. Now, I will say this. Uh, one of the narratives I hear a lot uh, late in the year was, oh, well, you know, they only beat Florida State. Florida State's no good this year. And I'm thinking, well, you really haven't paid attention, first of all, the talent Florida State has or even how their season went. And I'm not just pinning it on the loss of a quarterback. Look at the NC State game. That was a game they lost by six points against a very good NC State team. They had a 382 to 365 yard edge. It's not like they were blown out of the stadium. Miami of Florida, they gave up a touchdown pass on the final play of the game or in the final seconds to lose by four. Miami was undefeated a good portion of the season. Played in the ACC title game, almost made it to the playoffs. Louisville, they were leading. And then some guy, Lamar Jackson, a Heisman caliber guy, took him down the field. They converted on fourth down, and the next thing you know, they get a late touchdown and beat Florida State by three. Those are three games that are one play away from winning. They weren't getting blown out in any of them. Even the Alabama game in the opener, that's a game where they had a 15-13 first down edge. They were minus three in turnovers, and yet in the fourth quarter only trailed that game by three points against mighty Alabama in a game like that. The Boston College game was the one game where I think they were off that Louisville loss, and it's just tough to get prepared for a game sometimes which we can equate to this Southern Miss one. And finally, the Clemson game, I mean, they're down 17-14 in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go, and they've got the ball on Clemson's side of the field. Clemson's a pretty doggone good football team. So they played one of the toughest schedules of the year, had a lot of close losses. This is a very good football team. And if this was a Saturday in November and Florida State needed to win, I'd take Florida State by 24, 30 points in this game. They are a much better team. Southern Miss has put some good stats up. 
but it's been against much weaker competition. Now, Quadra Griggs is interesting. He began the year as a starter, the first four games, but they were struggling. So they went to Keon Howard, who's not much of a passer. Howard actually had one game where he threw for 301 yards, but then they went back to Griggs over the final five games, and Griggs finished the year with a 15-2 to ratio. So he gives him a little bit of a pass attack. He hasn't taken on a defense like Florida State has. And defensively, Southern Miss good. They're only allowing 322 yards per game, but haven't taken on great competition. They're only holding their opponents 25 yards below their season average. That means their opponents come in averaging about 347 yards per game, which isn't all that great. Florida State, on the other hand, is holding their opponents at 94 yards below their season average. Now, you look at Florida State, their problem has been offense this year. Haven't had a great deal of it. You also look at the motivation for this game. Take it back to that Boston College game. I like Florida State to win the game, but this is one of those games where Southern Miss is a heck of a lot more excited to be playing in the Independence Bowl than Florida State is. And it wouldn't surprise me if Southern Miss kept this one closer than what is expected. I'm with you on that, Phil. This is just so difficult to uh, evaluate and handicap in, in this regard. So, um, you know, one that I'm definitely going to be uh, very honed in on it because I, I, I want to see how Florida State approaches this football game as they look to set themselves up again. I mean, it's a top three team almost in everybody's evaluation to start 2017. So, um, you know, Seminole pride, you, you would hope that they don't want to uh, be viewed upon as a six and six type football team going into next year. So one that'll have some intrigue to it as well. Really glad you're part of it here on uh, Strong as Steel. Michael Regai, Phil Steele, our producer, uh, Jim Nabosna, wishing all of you a, a most happy holiday season. Like Phil says, most wonderful time of the year with uh, our college football uh, bowl season upon us and uh, all kinds of intrigue attached with that. And we'll be evaluating every one of them for you next week when we get together on the show, of course. We're going to get into the uh, the New Year's Six, uh, a lot of the big Power Five matchups that, of course, will lead us right in to the college football playoff um, uh, semifinals, the Final Four there. We're on games right now on December the 27th on uh, this edition of uh, Strong as Steel. Let's go to a legendary, fabled Yankee Stadium in the Bronx in New York City. And uh, that's where the pinstripe bowl, I like this matchup too, Phil. It, it finds, uh, of course, uh, Iowa from the Big Ten at 7-5, and five, and uh, Steve Adazio and his Eagles of Boston College, and I thought had a terrific year, all things considered. Now, when you say Iowa, I think everybody around college football will agree, Phil, the most stunning, surprising game of the year that just dropped people's jaws was their 55-24 beatdown of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and which, let's be honest, that, that kept Ohio State uh, out of an opportunity, even by winning the Big Ten Championship and finishing the year strong, that kept them out of the college football playoff. Now, Iowa lost the next two after they took Ohio State to the woodshed. They did rally to drill Nebraska. 56-14, so they put it on the Cornhuskers to get the seven wins in their season finale. Defense, that's always going to be real stout under under uh, Kirk Ferentz. They only allowed 19 points a game. It was you know, about top 10, 12, 15 defense uh, uh, during the season. The offense is built around their running back, uh, Crum Wadley, 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns on the year. 
Phil, I mentioned Steve Adazio really like, I don't know if you want to give him some coach of the year consideration, but uh, I, I thought he had a tremendous year. Uh, a two and five start wins five of the last six, including the wins over Louisville and that 35-3 dismantling of Florida State. Keep an eye on a true freshman running back, folks. His name is A.J. Dillon. Uh, kind of ironically, he was originally committed to go to Michigan. Um, and uh, then decided that Boston College would might be a better spot for him. But, wow, 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, spectacular year. So is A.J. Dillon and at Boston College offensive line, Phil, going to be able to get it done against that very strong Iowa defense? Yeah, and Iowa's got a couple of players on defense that uh, were All-American, first-team All-American, linebacker Josie Jewell, one of the top tacklers in the Big Ten, and then you look at the cornerback spot, Josh Jackson's a guy that uh, was one of the nation's leaders in interceptions. Both made it as first-team Big Ten, uh, Joshua Jackson and Josie Jewell. So they've got some players on the defensive side of the ball and played well there. They held the opponents to 38 yards below their season average. Now, how surprising is the 55 points and 487 yards that Iowa put on Ohio State? Check this out. Iowa played five other Big Ten teams that made it to bowls. In those five other games, Iowa averaged 13.6 points per game, not even two full touchdowns, and 228 yards per game. 228 yards per game against the five other Big Ten teams that made it to bowls, and here they put up 487, which is double, over double, what they averaged against the other bowl teams. Shocking as a result of 487-55. I don't think if you played that game 100 times, Michael, I don't think Iowa tops 24 points in any other game. It was just a perfect storm there. Now, Nate Stanley did impress me with his passing this year. I like the way he protected the football with that 25-6 ratio. And Akram Wadley and James Butler, the uh, Nevada transfer, give them a solid running back combo. Now, with BC, it was a, a different story. They started out the year, and it was, okay, it's your typical BC team. Remember last year they got blown out by every big-name opponent they played? This year they got blown out by Notre Dame, Clemson, Virginia Tech. They stood at 2-4, and four, and Adazio got up at the press conference and said, we're not far away. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And then the very next week they went on the road and beat Louisville. And then they crushed Florida State 35-3. to Probably should have beaten NC State. They had the yardage edge in that game. NC State got a late run, about a 65-yard run for a score, which gave them the win 17-14. And then Boston College always plays a good bully. When they take on a team they can bully, they do that, and they crush Connecticut and Syracuse down the stretch. You touched on A.J. Dillon, an exciting running back. Now their quarterback, Darius Wade, got injured in that game against NC State. Anthony Brown took over. Brown's not quite the passer that Wade was, uh, and probably not, not quite the uh, – he well, might be as good a runner, uh, but uh, he's taken over and, and will be – excuse me, Brown's the guy that got injured. Darius Wade is the guy that uh, took his place, and Wade's the guy that's not quite as good a passer or runner as Brown, but he'll be quarterback in the bowl game. So with uh, Darius Wade, the guy who was projected to be the starter this year at QB, I'm looking at this matchup, and I see it's pretty close. you got two good defensive squads, two teams that like to run the ball. I just think BC's a slightly better team, and they're, they're the underdog here, so they'll thrive on that. Plus, this game's in the pinstripe bowl. BC's closer to the pinstripe bowl, probably have the crowd edge. They've played in the pinstripe bowl already. So I'm going to go with Boston College to keep the momentum going and uh, get the win here. Nice. A Boston College call uh, here from uh, Phil Steele. So, 
uh, ACC over the Big Ten as, uh, yeah, the Pinstripe Bowl, it'll be one for all the reasons that we broke down that uh, should hold everybody's attention uh, around uh, college football, this Power 5 matchup. All right, let's keep moving on. Phil, before we do again, real quick, though, uh, as we did at the top of the show, uh, let everybody know why it's so important uh, right now uh, for all of our Strongest Steel listeners to really, really get the edge, to get to InsideThePressBox.com, and then uh, all of your fine work as well with uh, ESPN Insider. Yeah, InsideThePressBox.com is my weekly newsletter. If you like a lot of stats, like a lot of information, long, lengthy write-ups about each game, uh, complete background, you can even do some of the work yourself, get my computer's projections on the game, all that stuff. Go to InsideThePressBox.com and check out the – there's some samples up there for you, and you can get that for the rest of the bowls, the rest of the NFL, the rest of the uh, playoffs. All that's up there, and all the pricing is up there as well. Just go to InsideThePressBox.com. And on ESPN, on uh, Insider, ESPN Insider, which, as Michael pointed out at the top of the show, it's not just me. You know, I do write all the college, all the NFL games, but there are other guys that write both college and NFL. You get their selections. There's basketball writers, baseball writers, hockey writers. Every sport's covered on ESPN Insider. When we become an inside ESPN Insider, it's like, Three bucks a month to get the ESPN Insider, well worth it. And if you go to uh, ESPN.com slash Phil Steele, it'll take you to ESPN Insider. I will have a write-up on every single bowl game. I will have a write-up on every single playoff game, every single NFL game from here through the Super Bowl, and you can get all that on ESPN Insider. Can't miss it. Make sure it's a regular part of each week as you start to uh, make your determinations and you, as Phil said, make your evaluations. It'll be backed up by uh, by numbers galore, every number statistical edge you could look for, and of course uh, all of uh, Phil's slants and writings as well. Strongest steel. We do it for you each and every week. You know, we've been we've been going since July, Phil, as we started our, our previews of uh, each and every one of not only the uh, the Power Five but the Group of Five and the Independents as well. And we're culminating it all and uh, how every one of those football teams has fared throughout the regular season and uh, now the ones in bowl games. All right, we just completed uh, a Power 5 matchup between Iowa and Boston College. Let's stay on that same vein here. This is going to be played December uh, 27th, Foster Farms Bowl out in uh, California as from the Pac-12. The Arizona Wildcats, seven up, five down on the air from the Big Ten. The Purdue Boilermakers finally getting back to a bowl game at, uh, at uh, six and six. All about the offense, right? Therefore, you discuss Arizona and the Tucson group. That's, that's normal though for Rich Rodriguez. Sometimes defense just a rumor for Rich Rod because everything he does is on the offensive side of the ball. 41 points per game this year year as they won five of six throughout uh, the month of October and early November. And that's when we all found out about uh, Rich Rod's sophomore quarterback, Khalil Tate. He burst on the scene, 
totaled over 1,300 yards rushing. Remind me a lot of Denard Robinson, quite frankly, who uh, Rich Rod had at, at, uh, as a Michigan Wolverine. Uh, he passed the football, did Khalil Tate, for over 1,200 yards with nine TDs through the air as well. So, you know, he burst on the scene and, and then quieted a little bit, though, as it came down the stretch in a couple of losses. Jeff Brom, you know, we mentioned Steve Adazio, very strong job, like like Adazio at Boston College, Jeff Brom, terrific work in West Lafayette. I mean, for Purdue to be 6-6, six and six, and uh, they uh, they whipped Iowa and Indiana their last two games of the regular season to get themselves bowl eligible. Phil, they had a program, hadn't been to a bowl game in five years. Last time they went was 2012. A couple of quarterbacks played all year, Elijah Sindelar and David Blau. They both played significant snaps. Sindelar played uh, the final three of the year. Uh, I mean, listen, I don't know. You, you might see 100 points in this one or better if both of these squads have have uh, their offenses cranked up. Phil, how do you see it as Pac-12 Arizona and Big Ten Purdue get together in the Foster Farms? Yeah, David Blau went out for the season with injury, and the two quarterbacks had been splitting the job, so it's been strictly Sindelar down the stretch. Did lead the team to a win at Iowa, and then they beat Indiana in the uh, penultimate game this season when uh, uh, the, the winner got to a bowl game and the loser did not, led them to 453 yards in that game. Now, as you touched on with Khalil Tate, I mean, he burst on the scene. We're talking about 327 yards against Colorado, 230 against UCLA. Uh, held in the hundreds, which pretty good against Tate the next three games, and another 206 against Oregon State. But in the season's final two games, only 32 yards against Oregon, and then banged up at the half against Arizona State. He only had 28 yards rushing in that game. So teams have had plenty of film and time to break them down, and I think uh, Purdue has had that, that time to break them down. And you got to think that uh, Nick Holt, the defense coordinator for Purdue, maybe gain a little bit of an advantage in that respect. And they, I like Purdue's defensive front seven. And uh, you know, Brom when he came in uh, was, you know, normally when a, sometimes when a new coach comes in, they'll say, well, you know, we don't have great talent, this and that. He came in and said, I like our defensive front seven, and they played well this year. They held opponents at 3.6 yards per carry this season. Got pressure on the quarterback with 25 sacks. Very good defense overall, for especially for Purdue. Uh, last year at Purdue, they gave up 79 yards above the team season average that they played. This year they held opponents at 18 yards below. They've got Markel Jones and D.J. Knox, Tario Fuller all in the running back spot, and then uh, got some pretty good receivers. Uh, Mahogany came down the stretch, and uh, I watched his last two or three games. That guy's dynamic. I think if you're looking for a fantasy player, uh, take Purdue's top wide receiver, Anthony Mahanagu, as your uh, fantasy guy. I think he'll have a good-sized game against an Arizona defense, giving up 277 yards per game passing. Now, Arizona's defense is the problem. They're a little small. They're a little undersized up front. They give up 4.7 yards per carry, and they're not tremendous against the pass. But they are explosive with Khalil Tate, with a guy like J.J. Taylor, uh, and they can hurt you in the pass game. So, to me, it produces a more balanced team. Arizona's a more explosive team. Uh, the schedule goes to Purdue. They face a tougher schedule this year. Special teams, slight edge to Arizona. Coaching edge, 
Uh, it's pretty close. Brom is two and zero in bowl games. Rich Rod is five and five. Brown's uh, been along less time, but uh, the two teams are pretty close. And even though Arizona is a lot closer to Santa Clara, California, I think the crowd might be pretty evenly split. Purdue, I think, travels fairly well. And the intangibles, Purdue played great down the stretch. Their last four games, they played to an average game grade. And if you're a Phil Steele Plus member, uh, I think it's just $29 to join Phil Steele Plus for the rest of the year. You get average game grades, everything color-coded green and red. Anyway, Purdue's average game grade over the final four weeks, 96.2. Arizona's average game grade the final four weeks, 85.6. That says Purdue, 11 points better the final four games of the season, and they're an underdog here. I'm going to take the Boilermakers, an excited Boilermakers team. As Michael touched on, haven't been to a bowl game in five years. I'm going to take Purdue to win this one outright. I like that, Phil, too. And, uh, you know, we uh, a lot of times we like to say doing the show here and that, you know, Phil and I all over the college football landscape, and, you know, you, you don't root uh, a lot. But, uh, you know, this is one – I'm with uh, Phil Steele all the way here. I'd really like to see Jeff Brom and uh, the Purdue Boilermakers uh, cap off their year with a, a victory in this one and uh, help the Big Ten help their program as well. All right, so that is the uh, the shakedown on uh, on uh, who's that? That's the seventh game we've covered here on Strong as Steel, Arizona and Purdue. Let's keep moving. December the 27th, we've got another Power 5 matchup. This one could have some intrigue to it as well. The Texas Bowl, and of course, what would it be without uh, one of the uh, – the long-standing tradition-rich programs from the state of Texas, and that's where Tom Herman brings his Texas Longhorns to step in. Six up and six down on the year. They'll tangle with another one of the stories that completely flipped the script, the uh, the Missouri Tigers for uh, head coach Barry Odom. Uh, going back to Tom Herman, um, and uh, he needs bigger and better. I mean, that's the bottom line. When you take over as the head coach at Texas, ask Mac Brown. He'll tell you all about that. He's well aware. Where Tom Herman is of exactly that this program has got to get up into that uh, 10-plus win mark each and every year. Now, the Horns didn't win more than two in a row all year long, Phil, so their consistency was missing. Now, best wins at Iowa State and then over West Virginia as uh, the year played on, but they couldn't settle on a quarterback. Uh, Sam Ellinger and, and Shane Bouchelle each played in eight football games. I would say neither distinguished. We'll see what Phil has to say about that. Somebody's got to separate there. Now, Missouri, huge story, just a huge story for this football team, uh, as we said, as the season unfolded. Uh, 39 points per game. Drew Locke was electric. He's your quarterback, 43 touchdowns, 3,600 passing plus. And, Phil, when they went on that win run of theirs, uh, they averaged 48 a game. Their wide receiver, Jamon Moore, I think Phil will tell you, he's one to look at. Ten touchdown catches on the year. They won six in a row, 17 yards per catch. Phil, can they sustain this against Texas in the state of Texas in the Texas Bowl? I don't think so, Michael. And uh, here's why. When I look at this matchup, uh, first of all, when you when you look at Texas, they began the year with Shane Bouchelle, last year's starter at QB. Bouchelle got replaced by Ellinger. Ellinger was pretty much the QB until he got injured. Uh, Bouchelle filled in well when Ellinger was injured, but Ellinger returned to start the last two games. He'll be your quarterback here. Uh, team's leading rusher, which is a little scary. 
Uh, Chris Warren, the number two rusher, has opted not to play. A, a DB and an offensive lineman also have opted not to play in the game. So maybe a little bit shorthanded. But uh, during the course of the year, uh, you know, this is a Texas team that did beat an Iowa State team that's in a bowl game. They beat Kansas State that's in a bowl game. And they beat West Virginia that's in a bowl game. I bring that up because when you look on the Missouri side of the ledger, they played 12 games this year. They faced five bowl teams. They are 0-5 against them. They played seven non-bowl teams. They are 7-0 and against them. And here's another point to, a fact to point out here about Missouri and their high-flying offense with 39 points per game, 512 yards per game. Uh, do you know that versus the five bowl teams they faced this year, uh, Missouri averaged 18.5 points per game. That's 1-8 points per game in those games. Against the non-bowl teams they faced this year, they averaged 54 points per game, 72 against Missouri State, 68 against Idaho, 52 against Connecticut, uh, and then playing some depleted defenses down the stretch in Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas put up some big-time yards and points. But playing regular bowl teams with good defenses, they have struggled. And that goes back to last year. I think Drew Locke last year had something like a 10-10 ratio. Uh, against uh, Power 5 teams, and it was 12-0 against non. Well, this year against bowl teams, Drew Locke had 10 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Put him against somebody that didn't make a bowl game this year, we're talking about 33 touchdowns and 6 interceptions. So I think the competition level will be increased with Texas. This is a Texas team that lost its season final to Texas Tech. And I can remember uh, Tom Herman's post-game interview after Texas Tech dropped the record to 6-6. Six and six. He said winning the bowl game was very important to them, and they need to get to 7-6. and six. Meanwhile, Missouri's already locked up a winning season. And the final factor, uh, besides just the overall talent, the overall defense, the coaching edge, the sight edge, you figure Texas is going to have a, a, a edge there. The schedule edge, as I mentioned, Missouri only played five bowl teams this year. Uh, the final factor is Tom Herman is an underdog. How about 9-1 and one against the spread? And most of those were outright wins. So add it all up. Vegas has Missouri a three-point favorite here. I think they got the wrong team favored, Michael. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, you know, Phil letting you know right there and, and how he uh, how he sees this. And, um, yeah, well, you know, I, I think we laid it all out. Certainly a Texas football team that uh, nobody needs to explain to Tom Herman exactly what's got to start happening in 2018. It'd be a good way to springboard himself on into that. Strong as steel as we keep rolling on. We are in the the midsection of uh, all of our bowl extravaganza. We are going through 12 football bowl games and still uh, have uh, – have four to go as we continue on. All right, let's uh, let's move to December the 28th, and uh, we head back to the uh, the nation's capital and the Military Bowl. And two football teams that sure don't have to travel uh, too far to the nation's capital. It's uh, from the ACC, the Virginia Cavaliers, and from um, the uh, the American Athletic, uh, the Midshipmen of Navy. Both six and six football teams. But but Phil again now for uh, for the Cavaliers and Bronco Mendenhall I mean they won five of their first six and they lost five of their last six all five of those ACC games their offense sputtered at key moments the quarterback uh, Kurt Benkert he had some moments during the season you'd say it was solid over three hundred thousand yards three thousand yards in the air a twenty five to eight touchdown uh, pick ratio 
Kenny Niamatololo, uh, you know, one of the uh, not only class gentlemen, but but uh, one of the first-rate head football coaches. Um, you know, I, disappointing because they lost five of their last six after five consecutive wins to start the season in Annapolis. They they did lose their quarterback Zach Aby. Now he played in every game, but boy, he was banged up and and uh, really didn't get to show what he's all about. Especially disappointing. Didn't get to carry the ball a couple times in the. Uh, the loss uh, to Army. The running back Malcolm Perry. He kind of he kind of maintained the quarterback position and uh, did a real solid job. But uh, you know, fellas, we said they started out five and zero and they finished up six and six, and and now uh, they need a bowl win. So uh, two football teams that uh, that for for Virginia again after winning five of the first six and then they went bad and uh, and and the same for Navy. So how do you see this matchup here and? Uh, you might see an edge as far as uh, motivation and inspiration go in this one as well. Well, I like the fact that Navy's at home. Uh, we see the teams look at Florida Atlantic last night or, play, or the other night playing in their home stadium, uh, blowing out uh, Akron. And so Navy's got the comfort level of being in their home stadium for this one. Uh, and also, you know, you look at the quarterback play. Malcolm Perry only had two starts at quarterback. One was against SMU. About 282 yards rushing, and then Army, 250 yards rushing. He's the most dynamic of the quarterbacks. As you mentioned, he's played running back, he's played receiver, he's played slot back, but he is a dynamic QB, and I would think he'll get the majority of the snaps here at the quarterback position. Their offense runs great with him there. But even though they ran, put up uh, all those rush yards, they still only had 13 points against Army. And I bring that up because when you look at Virginia, they've got a head coach in Bronco Mendenhall. Now, Bronco Mendenhall comes over from BYU, and when I follow Bronco at BYU, every time they took on an option offense, Bronco just shut him down. I mean, uh, he's one of the best uh, head coaches out there against option offenses. I believe only once has he actually lost to a team that runs the option offense. And then this year, they even beat Georgia Tech in their game uh, earlier this season. They upset Georgia Tech, which, by the way, was their only win in the final six games. And that's the one that got them to six wins and a bowl game. So I like the matchup of Mendenhall against the option offense, especially with extra time to repair. Offensively, Kurt Benkert's an interesting story. He was at East Carolina. And uh, I remember talking to their head coach, uh, McNeil, and uh, Ruffin McNeil, and he was telling me Benkert's probably going to be the best quarterback ever at East Carolina. Then he got either suspended or injured prior to the season. Then he transferred, and he's done a pretty decent job here at Virginia. As you touched on, the 25-rate ratio is nice. They don't have an overwhelming offense. In fact, they average 25 yards below what their opponents normally allow. Navy hasn't had an overwhelming offense either. They average exactly what their opponents allow. So if that's the case, then you've got each team giving up about 350 yards because both teams have good Ds. Virginia's D holds their opponents to 42 yards below their season average. And Navy's defense, which normally undersized, a little on the slower side, they usually give up a lot of yards and points. This year they're holding opponents to 62 yards below their season average. Watch their linebacking core. Micah Thomas, D.J. Palmore, they give them one of the better linebacking cores out there. They're secondary. They're number 29, uh, or they have a solid secondary uh, overall. They gave up some passing yards this year, but uh, they're decent in that area. And then, as you talked about, Coach Ken Niamatololo uh, has Navy always competitive in these games. They'll have the sight edge in this one. I think the matchup edge goes to Bronco. I find it tough to pick a side here. I think Virginia might have a little more athletic talent. Navy's got more bowl experience. But one thing I do like, 
The total in the game is 55. I think with Mendenhall against a Navy defense and an underwhelming Virginia offense against an overachieving Navy defense, uh, I'm going to think that this one goes under 55 is my best play, and I'm going to be enjoy watching it because I think you're going to have a highly competitive game. Yep, I'm with you on that. Uh, and, again, I like that that under call as well from uh, from Phil Steele there. That's Virginia and Navy, as uh, Phil said, military bowl with the, uh, the midshipmen right there uh, on campus in Annapolis. December 28th, uh, the games that uh, we are on still have a few more to go for you as we get you all set so that you can uh, really feel like you're the expert in enjoying your, your matchups. Let's, uh, let's do a ranked uh, Power Five here, Phil, as we move into Orlando, Florida, and the Camping World Bowl. Uh, this is number 22, Virginia Tech, um, nine up and three down on the year. Number 19, Oklahoma State. So a pair of nine-win football teams. Uh, Vatech, ACC, Oklahoma State, course for the Big 12. Let's start with Vatech. Um, you know, they beat Pitt and Virginia, Phil, the end of the regular season. And, you know, we're talking about uh, Bud Foster, right? So this is a guy, I don't know, you could give him the Frank Broyles assistant coaching uh, award every year or certainly have him uh, heavily in the mix. Defensive coordinator, 23 years at Vodtech, was Frank Beamer for all those years. 13.5 points per game is all Virginia Tech surrenders. No surprise because of uh, Bud Foster. I really like Tremaine Edmonds. He's their, uh, their All-American linebacker on that side, 6'5", about 240. Really puts heat on the quarterback. Uh, led this team in tackles and and uh, kind of is the heartbeat of it. Again, now Oklahoma State, um, uh, you know Mike Gundy. The loss is what filled the TCU, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. So you know Gundy had some dalliances uh, with Tennessee, but uh, you know that didn't materialize. So you know here they are as a nine-win football team. Many projected them maybe to win the Big Twelve. Um, you know, Phil, again, when we ask about motivation opportunities here for these two football teams, they're both top 25. Uh, where do you see some edges could lie for each squad here? You know, I think when you, when you look at these two teams, uh, they're both going to be motivated because they're, they're taking on a, another good-sized team. That it's a chance to end your season on a – on a solid note, uh, the surprising thing for Oklahoma State, those three losses you mentioned, all were in home games. So had they taken care of business, they were favored over TCU, favored over Kansas State, and they were even favored over Oklahoma by a point and a half, yet lost three games as a favorite. So I think Oklahoma State might be a little disappointed that they're not better than where they are. And, uh, you know, as you touch on Bud Foster, I think if there's one move that uh, Justin Fuente made, it was maintaining Bud Foster, kept somebody on the staff that knew everything, and he's always been one of my favorite defensive coordinators. Now, breaking down the matchup here, Virginia Tech does have a large special teams edge, number three against number 94, and that's part of the reason that Virginia Tech is plus 98 yards per game, which is good. Oklahoma State's plus 175 yards per game, which is one of the best in the country. But the reason that their records are somewhat similar, maybe the special teams has been an equaling factor, as is the fact Virginia Tech does definitely rate the edge uh, on defense. Not a huge edge, but the edge. To me, the biggest edge, though, goes on offense, and it goes to Oklahoma State. Mason Rudolph's one of the nation's best quarterbacks. 35-9 ratio, 65% of his passes. Josh Jackson is good, but... Struggled against most of the tough teams that he faced this year. Uh, At running back, I'm going to take Justice Hill. 1,347 yards. 
Virginia Tech's top running back, just 439 yards. And then James Washington, Blitnikoff winner, Marcel Aitman, 1,000-yards receiver, Jalen McCluskey, uh, 633. I've got Oklahoma State coming into the year, the number one receiving core in the country, and they did not disappoint. And the offensive line has also been solid. They averaged 4.7 yards per carry. Uh, and meanwhile, VT just 3.8. So I think when you look at these teams, look at Virginia Tech's toughest three games of the year, Clemson, Miami, Georgia Tech, and, and they ended up losing all three of those games. Other than that, they didn't play a super tough schedule on the season. Uh, Oklahoma State, as, as you mentioned, had lost those three at home. But uh, I just like the way Oklahoma State played a little bit better. I think they're, uh, to me, they're the stronger team. So I like Oklahoma State to win this game. All right, Power 5 matchup again, Virginia Tech and Oklahoma State. See, we're starting to get into the area of uh, ranked football teams playing against one another now as uh, we're starting to move toward those New Year's Six matchups. A lot of real good matchups that you're going to want to have uh, a strong hold on to enhance your bowl enjoyment. Strongest Steel does that for you. We've been with you all year long, way back uh, starting in July. Michael Regai, Phil Steele, and our producer Jim Nabosna laying it all out for you. All right, so we mentioned the Power 5 theme and the Top 25 theme. Let's roll on because we've got a couple of more here that I'm very, very excited to lock in on. I think you guys will as well. Uh, Stanford uh, from the uh, from the Pac-12, of course, the uh, number 15 Cardinal, uh, excuse me, number 16 Cardinal against number 15, uh, the Horned Frogs of TCU. Stanford at nine and uh, four on the year, TCU ten and three. So Phil. Here's ironically, right, this one. So they've lost seven football games between them, and four of them between them have come to two of their opponents. Stanford, as we know, 9-4, and four, two of the losses to Pac-12 champion USC. Uh, you know, they uh, they had won three in a row before that uh, that loss to USC in the Pac-12 championship game. One of them, a 38-10 thrashing of Notre Dame. K.J. Costello uh, took over for Keller Chris. Bryce Love, you know all about him. A Heisman finalist. And this is a football team that is uh, as ultra-competitive as you're going to find and with as much unheralded talent, I think, as any team in the country under David Shaw. So, Flip that, Phil. Take a look at um, at TCU, right? So we mentioned two of their losses were in Oklahoma, forty-one seventeen in the uh, the conference championship game. The third loss was uh, in Ames against Iowa State, as uh, they got ambushed there. So, uh, you know, as you look at the, at this one, Phil, as we know, two extremely strong uh, top twenty-five programs. Uh, how do you see Stanford and TCU playing out here in uh, in the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio? I tell you what, you got two of my very favorite head coaches out there, Gary Patterson. I don't think anybody uh, goes goes to work to, to undercover every piece of information he can about the opponent and and make sure he's got it all down. And he always gets the most out of it. You touched on two of the three losses this year were to Oklahoma. That's not too bad. And then how about David Shaw? I mean, every year you underrate Stanford and you say, well, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. And David Shaw just develops that offensive line, develops defense. Uh, eventually develops a quarterback, and uh, Stanford's always finishing higher than they are. Two outstanding head coaches. So nobody's going to rate a coaching edge in this one, that's for sure. You know, Stanford offensively, I like Bryce Love. Uh, you know, he's a guy that um, maybe if he wasn't playing on one ankle the second half of the season, might just have had a shot at the Heisman Trophy because he's had some pretty exceptional games. He was averaging 
over 10 yards per carry most of the season, ended up with 8.3 yards per carry. K.J. Costello ignited the pass attack a little bit down the stretch, uh, and he's throwing to some huge receivers. I mean, when you're watching this game, watch the size of Stanford's receivers. Almost all these guys are 6'4", 6'5", dudes that can go up and catch the ball, and Costello has benefited from that. They also have one of the top offensive lines in the game. I mean, they averaged 6 point yards per carry, only allowed 16 sacks on the year. The one thing that's atypical about this year's Stanford team, even though they've got a guy like Harrison Phillips up front, even though they've got one of the top safeties in the country this year, uh, when you look at Stanford, their defense is not what it normally is. Normally they're holding opponents about 100 yards below their season average. This year Stanford just 28 yards below their season average. Uh, the safety I'm talking about is Justin Reed. They have a cornerback in Quentin Meeks. They've got plenty of talent on that side of the ball. But how about 4.5 yards per carry? Unusual for the Stanford defense. When I look at TCU, uh, even though they played Oklahoma twice, which that's going to hurt your rankings no matter what. I mean, Oklahoma's got an unstoppable offense. On the season, they only allowed 329 yards per game. How about 100 yards per game rushing, 2.9 yards per carry? And that includes Oklahoma running for over 200 yards on them each, team, each time. That means the rest of the season, they were giving up about 70 yards per game rushing and only 52% completions. Love the TCU defense. Offensively, they don't have a, a Bryce Love. They've got some players, but no Bryce Love. Kyle Hicks is taking over a running back for Darius Anderson. He was last year's starter. Kenny Hill's probably the key to the game. If Kenny Hill is on and playing as good as Kenny Hill can play, then they've got the pass attack and they're not turning the ball over. He's thrown to an exceptional receiving core. If Kenny Hill turns into the guy that was at A&M and is now here and had some struggles here and throws some interceptions, then all of a sudden Stanford's got a really good shot of winning. So that's, that's probably going to be the one of the keys of the game. I look at it as a very close game, but I'm going to go with the team that's got the better defense. Slight lean here to TCU. Okay, TCU is the call from Phil Steele there. I'm going to go with Stanford in that one so Phil and I can have our uh, Christmas uh, sarsaparilla riding uh, on the line against this one. And uh, it's going to be one that you're going to want to watch, though, for all the reasons that we've laid out. That's the Alamo Bowl. It takes place on December the 28th. That, of course, in San Antonio, Texas. Top 25 matchup, Stanford TCU. We wind it up today on Strongest Steel with yet another top 25 matchup. And uh, there was a lot of conversation when this matchup was uh, originally made, but it's uh, going to stand as one that uh, we'll love watching. The Holiday Bowl in San Diego, December 28th. Number 16, Michigan State from the Big Ten. 9-3 and three for Mark D'Antonio. And number 18, Washington State from the Pac-12, also Nine and three. So from three and nine in that disaster of a 2016 Phil Steele, Mark D'Antonio and his Spartans flipped the script. They go nine and three on the year. Brian Lewerke, who everybody thought, eh, not sure about. We'll see if uh, D'Antonio can have him be a, a, a strong, productive winning quarterback. Check, check, check. He was all of that. Makes plays. I mean, he doesn't look flashy, but he just makes plays. Lewerke did the job this year. Freshman wide receiver Cody White had a real big year as a true frosh uh, helping him out in the past game. And so the Spartans, uh, yeah, they got uh, they got absolutely just destroyed by Ohio State uh, in Columbus. Uh, the other losses, uh, they got beat by Notre Dame, and they got beat by Northwestern. Northwestern on the road in triple overtime. So uh, very solid year. Washington State, that's Mike Leach, of course, and that's 
it's Luke Falk. Keep an eye on Falk, all of you quarterback gurus. Uh, you know, nobody's talking about him, but I've liked him, liked him since a year ago, and think he's six foot four, two twenty five, with a uh, certainly a good enough arm, and I think he's got a shot to be an NFL guy. Their losses on the year were. Uh, at Cal, at Arizona, and at Washington. So fill all the losses for Mike Leach on the road. This can be a very, very exciting matchup. And I got to think that Mike Leach and Washington State think that they're going to be able to throw the football against Michigan State's defense. What say you? Yeah, that's a possibility. A quick note, uh, if you go to the uh, the magazine this year, the Stock Market Indicator on page 32, the top five bull teams this year are ones that stock is rising. Marshall was one. They had a big turnaround. Michigan State was number two. Oregon, number three. They went from a non-bull team to a bull. TCU, number four. Big difference there. And how about Arizona? Actually getting to a bull game this year. So the top five bull market teams all did well. And the bear market teams, Colorado, they went from Pac-12 championship game to not making a bowl. Troy kept the record the same. Idaho, bowl game to non-bowl game. Tulsa, bowl game to non-bowl game. Eastern Michigan, bowl game to non-bowl game. So another great year for the stock market indicator in the magazine. A lot of those type of charts in the magazine each and every year. Make sure you check them out on the front page during the summer. But let's talk about this matchup as Michael was doing. Now, one key note here for Washington State. They're going to be without their top two receivers for this game. Tavares Martin and Isaiah Johnson Mack. Both are off the team for this particular matchup. And that might hurt Falk's uh, throwing ability a little bit. Those guys were the top two guys. Uh, generally, it's plug-and-play Washington State, but uh, I think those were the top two receivers they had. Look for him to utilize his running backs more, as they always do. I mean, their running game this year, nowhere near what it was last year. Last year, they actually averaged over 100 yards per game, 4.3 yards per carry. This year, back to 72 yards per game, 2.9 yards per carry. But that doesn't include the receiving card yards by the running backs. And a lot of times, they run these little swing passes. It's almost like a pitch, but it's ruled a swing pass and a pass. So they their running game is actually short passes to their running backs. So they're probably a little more effective in the short yardage than what you would think, but definitely a down year for the running game. I heard somebody say that they had a, a better year at the running game, but no, it's it's much weaker than last year. Defensively, though, you know, once again, this is another one of those small, speedy defenses, and I think Alex Grinch did a tremendous job with them this year. You look at uh, Washington State last year, they showed great improvement. They allowed 34 yards below their opponent's average. This year, 96 yards below their opponent's average. So you don't normally equate defense and Washington State, but they only allowed 314 yards per game this year. They played good defense, but they're a little bit on the small and speedy side. A couple of players, their main player to look out for up front there is Hercules Maatafa. I mean, he is a disruptive force on that defensive line, as well as Equally inside. Uh, two very good defensive linemen. Now, with Michigan State, I thought they were pretty much what I thought they were, which is a, a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team. They did beat Michigan on the road, game they were out game this year. They did get past Penn State, which was a very good game. But I think if it was not for that long weather delay, they might not have won that. But I thought they played better. Uh, well, they, of course, got beat by Ohio State 48-3 to and then beat Maryland and Rutgers. So not an overwhelming year, but a softer schedule. 
Uh, last year they played a, a tougher schedule, and uh, that helped. And then Lewerke's passing, as you touched on, Michael, 17-7 ratio. They got L.J. Scott at running back. And, and defensively, they just showed improvement all season. They only allowed 293 yards, 93 yards below their opponent average. So I rated the game pretty close toss-up-wise. I think Washington State missing those two receivers that they are. I'm going to give the slightest of edges to Michigan State in this. And right now they're a slight dog. They actually opened up as about a three-point dog in the game Michigan State did. It's been mm-hmm. coming down and down and down. They're now they're now a one-point underdog in Vegas. And who knows, a lot of times when the bowl gets closer, these these games can take a wild move. So Michigan State could even end up as a favorite. But I give them the edge on the offensive line, the defensive line. And if you've got that advantage, you've got a chance of winning the game. Yeah, this should be though. Uh, again, hey, hate to see a couple of uh, you know top-notch performers like the uh, the Washington State receivers, as Phil mentioned, in in uh, Tavares Martin and Isaiah Johnson Mack out of the uh, out of this football game. But you know, Mike Leach you usually find a way. So should be one of the most competitive Power Five matchups. Number sixteen, Michigan State. Number eighteen, Washington State. Both at nine and three in the San Diego Holiday Bowl. Phil Steele, that is uh, going to wind up our, our second session. We did 12 football games in this Strong as Steel episode, so now we're moving into uh, the real heavy hitters. Uh, starting next week, we'll begin with uh, with the uh, the Belk Bowl out of Charlotte with Wake Forest and Texas A&M. That on December 29th, and we'll finish everything up. But, Phil, in the meantime, um, Make sure you have a wonderful, wonderful uh, Christmas season, buddy, to uh, to you and yours. And uh, we'll take some time to celebrate Santa Claus, right, during uh, during this next week. That's right, absolutely. And uh, so, uh, Michael, to you and yours, very happy holidays. And uh, we'll be talking to you next week when we go over all the big bowl games next week. And hope everyone out there listening to the podcast has a great holidays uh, this this holiday season. Absolutely. Great stuff, Phil Steele, as always. And uh, Phil and, and producer Jim Nabosna, just the very, very best as uh, we so much enjoy bringing Strong as Steel to uh, all of you. And uh, as Phil said, we've got one more opportunity for you next week. So, you know, make sure you're, you're ch- we'll, we'll get it all tweeted out for you that uh, on Twitter uh, you'll be able to see. But, uh, you know, you know where to find us on Blog Talk Radio and also on iTunes, and you won't miss a thing. Hey, you can go all the way back to our previews and say, were these guys uh, on the money and what they were talking about? And I think most of the time you're going to say that uh, that's an affirmative. We would very much enjoy bringing Strong as Steel to all of you. So please uh, enjoy a, a wonderful Christmas season, a holiday season with you and yours, and be watching all the ball games. And we'll get back with you next week uh, for uh, yet another edition of Strong as Steel. For Phil Steele and Jim Nabaza, I'm Michael Rega. Happy holidays, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy. So long. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.